0: Do you love Kindling Conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote. But do it soon because voting closes April 1st.
1: Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. There's been a lot of talk about toxic masculinity following the revelations of the Me Too movement. But where does all of this leave our boys? How do we guide them to be healthy, whole and strong? while leaving the poison of misogyny behind. Tim Winton's latest book, The Shepherd's Hut, follows a damaged young man following the death of his abusive father. This young man is full of violence, sexism and racism. So for several years, Tim Winton spent a lot of time pondering the influence of all these things on Australian boys and men. He's currently touring with his presentation, Tender Hearts, Son of Brutes, and I caught up with him last night. Do you think Australia has a particular idea of masculinity that's unique to our country?
0: I don't know if it's unique to our country, but it's, um, it's probably typical of settler societies. I think um, it's no surprise that, um, you know, in, in countries that have, have been invaded and settled, you tend to get three things together. You get contempt for the environment, You get misogyny uh, and you get racism, and they seem to be bound up um, in those early years of showing up uninvited, seizing, uh, taking control, consolidating, and then defending. So there's a sort of mindset which is like you know the the closed fist and the closed mind seem to go together, and I think um, Australia is quite typical of that. And I think you know it's it's really amazing that after 200 years the power of that um way of seeing is still present you know i mean it's it's changed and it's changing and we are evolving but it's re- it's really quite a shock sometimes to realize just how uh how deep that goes and you you can see it in people who you know are living in an urban environment who you know who are you know generations from something like that and yet it seems to still infect them.
1: Do you think um, our boys now learn that type of masculinity from their fathers or and the older men in their lives or are they learning it from their peers?
0: Well I think it's a bit of a dance really I think that um, you know family is first culture so you, you're watching as a, as a child and specifically as a, as a boy you're you're watching what your father or your older brother or brothers does or your uncles so you you are modeling yourself on people who are that you look up to particularly if you respect them and or fear them sometimes those two things are not uh, compatible but I do think that also you, you you are subject to forces outside the family after a certain point and they tend to be not so much peers as uh, the the kind of values of the of the wider culture, and probably nothing's more potent than consumption culture and entertainment culture. Those two things together, and they're they're very closely linked, um, and they're really quite powerful. Um, I don't think we exert that much. Um, look, I'm no expert, but my, from my observation, I think the kind of pressure that we put on each other as peers is is not quite as intense as those first two big um those two first two big things because um in my experience boys in particular uh, are rehearsing the role of masculinity or of, uh, or of manhood they're projecting it they're, they're trying these masks on and and seeing how people react to it so that's not just your peers it's often people older than you um You know, boys are often projecting a kind of a, or they're putting something on, and then they're watching what older, you know, old boys who are older than them, uh, men relatives, to see how how they respond. And if you get approval, you continue on that on that path. And sadly, the kind of responses they get from the people around them can often be really quite shallow and thoughtless, and that just reinforces this narrow. So in a sense if we are rehearsing and projecting for this role uh, say like it's a part, you know we're auditioning for this part, um, it seems to be that there's only one very narrow interpretation of the role and any, any other interpretations uh, get squeezed out of you, shamed out of you, beaten out of you. And that's, that's, you know, from my observation that's one of the really sad things. There's so many ways of being a man so many ways of being a boy are as many ways of being a man as there are men to be men and you know that from meeting children you know they are essentially for a long time themselves and then you can see how they have to let go of themselves and and, and surrender themselves and in my in my observation boys having to surrender the best in themselves in order to conform and to um in my terms, you know, I just see them being pressed into service, in, into misogyny. You've got to pull on the uniform.
1: At the moment, my daughter, who's six, has these podcasts that have just been released. They're amazing. They're called, one's called Fierce Girls that was made at the ABC, and another one's called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. And we listen to them on the way to school. And her little brother's there, and she loves them. But one thing that kind of troubles me about that is she's got these amazing, inspiring things to listen to about a woman that she could be and trying to encourage her to do things that perhaps past generations weren't, to be bold, to be fearless, Mm. to want to do everything or anything. And then I think, what is there for my son to show him how to be a man? Have we missed those kinds of things to help our boys grow into being... I suppose healthy, having healthy masculinity as opposed to toxic.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a good point, and it's something to ponder. I um, and it's really interesting, in particular with girls who, who are, you know, traditionally have been expected to be compliant, and we're encouraging them, we're encouraging them in their non-compliance. You know, um, they're supposed to be meek, so we're encouraging them to be fierce, and I think that's great. But we're still punishing boys for their non-compliance. And we are disgusted by boys who are fierce. So I think we haven't quite resolved something in ourselves in terms of what we want. But I think it goes to, you know, the dilemma that we're in. Uh, Women are making strides, and that's a wonderful thing, because they're motivated to reach for something that's denied them. And in order to keep up with that and also to lift our end of the log, men have have also to change, but to do that, it's as though the only course of action is to relent, is to surrender, uh, is to give up things. And that's a harder thing to get someone to do. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're in a liberation movement, the motivating force is to reach for something that you haven't got, that you deserve, and that you'll be punished for trying for, but you'll, you'll know that eventually with solidarity and endurance you'll get there. So it's trying to find a, a way of appealing to men to to relent, to give up power, to give up uh, unexamined privilege, and the only way I can think of doing that is by seeing if we can't motivate men by getting them to understand what they're missing out on, and and I think that that there's there's a whole life that's denied men from boyhood onwards, and there's a range of emotions, there are a range of experiences and relationships that are unavailable to you if you're on the iron rails of toxic moronic masculinity, um, and yet they're, they're very impoverished by it. If you can get people to see that you're you a lesser person because of your adherence to you know, bad models of masculinity, maybe there's some chance of, um, of, of motivating people to say, yeah, my life could be richer, and the people around me could feel safer and have a richer life as well. When you realise that you're contributing to the impoverishment and fear uh, and oppression of people you don't even know, and also people that you do know, but you're just not conscious of your behaviour and your assumptions. It can be a lovely thing to realise that. Uh, you know, an awkward thing in the in the first instance to realise what you're doing or, or the the effect it having. But it's a pretty great thing to be able to do something good for someone else, and to be able to do good for people that you don't even know, and to feel like you're in enhancing and enlarging your community. And so you know, maybe it's a long shot appealing to. Um, men's better natures and better instincts but I think when you wake up and realise that you're only living half a life surely there's a, there's a there's a motivation to reach for something better
1: Is it something about how we interpret strength because we do have this idea that men need to be strong while well, we're encouraging girls to be strong now but um, emotions um, that might be about sadness or depression and ways of being like kindness mm. aren't necessarily seen as strong behaviors is that part of the problem
0: yeah and, and all this um, all this talk about being being tough and courageous but there's a very narrow range of um, uh, you know it's a very narrow kind of conception of what that what those things are and the really the, you know the hardest thing of all is to change and in order to um, change men in particular need to give and um there's great courage in being able to give and and you know i just think we have to turn some of these terms on on their head yeah i think you're right i think um presenting boys in particular with models of interaction and behavior uh, that open up more emotional um, avenues to them will enrich their lives and enrich all our lives
1: Something I think about as well is ritual and how in days gone by we did have rituals both for girls and boys Mm. as they came into adulthood. I feel a bit lost as a parent not having that to give to my son. I can think of things I could do with my daughter Mm. but being a woman I can't think of what I do for my son. Um, How do we address that lack of transition to adulthood Without it being fake, or without appropriating a different culture's way mm. of doing things,
0: oh, it's a real conundrum, and I think it's a great challenge. And it's yeah, it's just sad to see the way that we've um, scraped away our own ritual pathways. And it's it's a hard thing because you know when you look at when you look at other cultures, and we often have this really patronizing, exoticized approval of other people's rites of passage. They are very culturally specific, and they are almost always bound up with a religious tradition. Um, And in Australia, you know, in modern Australia, people are really wary about uh, religion, unless it's exoticised religion, in which case it gets a free pass. You know, the strongest rituals that we still have are, whether we like it or not, religious rituals. And I think we either have to modify them, um, or enhance them, or or adopt some of them in order to. Find a, a way forward. You know, I've been lucky enough to travel with traditional Northern Australian peoples, and it was amazing to you know just to see how how deeply grounded people were, and in particular, you know, observing boys who haven't gone through the law. They they knew who they were. They knew what they were. It didn't matter if the entire weight of modern Australia was was basically you know leaning against them and stealing from them um, and undervaluing them they knew in themselves what they were and when they were on country everyone everyone was solid you know and and i envy that when i look at young men in particular in mainstream australia they just they're inheriting a kind of a wasteland and um i don't know what the answer is i just not i'm that's way above my pay grade, but, I, <laughs> but I, I kind of yearn for ways in which we can, we can look for, talk about and encourage rites of passage that are widely shared, that are widely understood, that are consensus views, and that we, um, and that we go that. But I think let's, let's face it. The way we live now is all about the individual. Capitalism has conquered our, our entire lives. To the point where, you know, all the communal activities that we were once a part of, because they're not part of market thinking and they're not they're not linked to productivity, they have no worth, uh, and they're scourged and frowned upon, and scorned. And um, I think we have to change, you know, the culture before we can expect that rites of passage, like the kind of thing that we're talking about, will actually make any sense to us. If you're the only person in the world who really matters, how do you expect? a family to survive because a family requires people giving things up for each other you 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 do things that you surrender for the good of the family unit for one another and the same thing applies in the village in the community in the neighborhood in the suburb in the town in the in the state and in the na- in the nation perhaps but i i think we've got really bad at that we've all the skills that we used to have that my parents generation and their parents generation had we've scraped all that institutional memory out all that intellectual capital is gone and we're really bad at being in groups which is why we you know we can't organize ourselves in labor anymore one reason that wages are bad is that we're just not good at asking for it anymore and demanding it we've been trained to just go out there and fight you know as lone dogs and what you see is what you get
1: if i could go into your personal life for a moment you have two sons. How have you um, managed, managed, how have you raised your boys with your self awareness and knowledge of how the world is around them? I read about um, the man from the church who helped your father and how he was a good example of how you can be a masculine man and still be kind. Did you draw those sorts of role models into your life to help your boys see that? Or, or how did you look at it when you, when you were bringing them up?
0: Oh, it all seemed so long ago, because my, <laughs> my, my boys are uh, adults. But I, I guess my wife and I had, you know, very s- strong views about um, gender stereotyping and expectations. And we hoped that our, you know, that our values were reflected in our... In our lives, and the, you know, the kids noticed that. Uh, you know, I guess we we did the best we could, I suppose. And and yeah, you know, we have, you know, we have two two lovely boys who aren't boys anymore, but they're always be boys and babies <laughs> to us. I always try and every now and again I try and get one of them to sit on my knee, even though he, wa- he weighs twi- he's twice the size and weighs his tw- twice what I do, and uh, he's he's mortified. But yeah, I think um. Just this is a, a kind of a, a superficial thing in a way, but I can remember how mortifying it was in the 70s to be driven to school by my father, and then uh, him expecting a kiss before I got out of the car. You know, and I used to do this thing where I'd I'd pretend I'd drop something on the floor, and I'd lean down, and I'd and I'd, I'd make him lean down and <laughs> give what he could see. Um, but the funny thing is that just over time it, it normalised and I I kind of I guess I claimed it you know and it was really funny that my boys were never like that even as teenagers they they would kiss you in greeting they'd kiss you goodbye they'd kiss you goodnight um and now you know even though they've got beards um so I sympathised with half of the women of the world um you know, they still they still want to hug and they still want to kiss, and uh, and I've just got to put up with all that facial hair. You know, it's just <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> you know, I'm always pleased. I was I was um, in Brisbane a couple of days ago, and I was in a bookshop, and a, and a young man bowled up to me and he said, "Oh, I know you. I know your son, and uh, he's a he's a lovely, kind man. I think I think he's a lovely boy, and I and I just thought, well, wow, that's better than the best book review I've ever got."
1: I think that's a beautiful spot to end on, Tim. Thank you so much for speaking with us.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure.
1: That's Tim Winton. His latest book is The Shepherd's Hut. There are still a few tickets for his presentation, Tender Hearts, Son of Brutes, for the Melbourne and Launceston shows. So head to our website for more info if you're interested in that. It's kindling.com.au. Hey
0: there! Do you love Kindling Conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote. But do it soon, because voting closes April 1st.